You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. We're on a side quest right now, trying to figure out which of the 10 2022 Best Picture nominees should take home the big award. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. The Quest for the Bestest begins in just a moment. everyone welcome back to the quest for the bestest it's the podcast where us four backlog boys normally try to figure out what the best best picture winners of all time are but today and uh past episodes and future episodes we are not taking about taking a look at winners there are no winners here there are only nominees and that's right mm-hmm. we're looking at coda today directed by sion hater sean okay sean hater Sean Hader. It's got an. It's got Someone an accent. Research. On. Yeah, I, I, I should have. I should have uh, told you that well before we started rolling. But alas, I forgot. You should have. And now my epic uh, plight of being horrible at names in general mm. continues. Oh well, yeah, it continues. What about this movie? I think this movie is 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 quite something. It's a bit of a musical. It's a bit of a drama. There's some family elements. What do you guys think? I want to hear from one person after we talk about what we did last week, because oh. last time we took a little trip down the alley of pol- politics with <laughs> Don't Look Up, I guess. It's uh-huh. a political movie. It's a political movie. And, um, and well, we, we didn't really like it. If you want to hear us hating yeah. on that movie, go check out the review. We gave it on average a score of 4.7, so put it down at number three on the list. But will it remain there? Will Coda go above? Who's to say? Only you can find out after we get done talking about it and then do our little funny number thing and rank it. God, this, this, so is a loo- this is a loose episode. I'm liking this so far. Oh, yeah. All this right. the kind of energy we bring. It yeah. is. It is. It's the energy you bring when you're really excited to talk about movies. And I think I want to hear from one man in particular to start it all off. Abram, I believe you have something prepared for us. Do you not? I do, actually. Um, if you thought this was a loose episode before, Tanner, it's about to get a whole fucking lot looser. Here because we go. Loosey-goosey. In, in, in traditional Abram Buner fashion, uh, mm. I did not know what Coda was about. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time I had to actually watch the trailer because here's the problem. This is an Apple Plus movie. I'm a, I'm a man of the Android and the window device. So ah. I, I didn't have access to Apple Plus. My girlfriend does. Mm. But... She was initially hesitant to let me take the free trial because she said she might want to use it on something different later. Mm-hmm. So I had, I, had to, I had to sell her on us using this free trial to watch Coda. So I pitched it as, why don't you watch it with me? Let's right. watch the trailer. Yeah. And so here I am watching the trailer and I think to myself, I've seen this movie before. Mm. And so I finished the trailer and then I go into my Google Drive Okay. And I go back to the year of our Lord, 2018. Okay. And in my Google Drive, I find the following. What the heck? This is translated from French. Oh, I know what you're you're saying. La Famille Mm. Bellier, the parents of Paula are deaf. Yeah. Uh, it is interesting. It is interesting that the family is deaf because there are not a lot of films that center on deaf people already. The film is a great success in France. But there's one major question. Is it a good representation of the deaf community? I think that it's a bad representation because the actors are not deaf. Mm. And I had trivia about this. I had humor, trivia about this. And the deafness is used primarily for humor. Mm. So here's the deal. Okay. Apparently, I don't know if it's common knowledge or not, but this is based on a French film. Yeah. Yes. And I never have 
any of this horse shit knowledge that you do. Yeah. But it turns out that I've already seen the original film. Well, so throughout this review, you're the that? only one here. Yes, uh, yeah, I'll, be, uh, I'll be talking about it. Frequent commenter Seth Householder has also seen the original French film. Uh, and I think he... Seth, comment down below if you're watching, I'm, and I know you are. Uh, comment down below if you think that the, the original is better. Because, as Abrams said, uh, and I'll get a piece of trivia off the bat right now. Yes, uh, it, it is based off of an original French film from 2014. Um, but the, two, of the, two of the actors in that film are not actually deaf. Mm. One of the one of the deaf characters is played by a deaf actor, but the other two are not. And I don't care. Sure, maybe Seth watched it before, but did he write in his French four classroom a, a it looks like a think four so. pa he, paragraph essay about this movie? No, he most uh, likely did not. But Abram, if we can talk about this movie for a change, I what do you think? We're already talking. We've already got trivia, and we haven't even yeah. hit initial thoughts yet. I mean, yeah. this is a crazy episode. So loose Abram. cannon. Tell us your thoughts. Yes, do it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, here's the thing about Coda, right? I, I think that the movie is is largely unremarkable in, in sort of from sort of like a technical lens. I think it is just a really well made uh, family drama. But mm -hmm. I think that it's so successful because it's so full of heart and emotion um, that it, it's 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 just a very warm movie. I want to watch it and I want to I want to put my arm around Jean and watch the movie with her as we did. And she is crying. I'm not really crying because I knew what was going to happen. The, it, the film tracks you'd very seen closely. The movie. It tracks very closely to the original. The only big change is that in the original, that the family owns like a farm and they like roll cheese wheels, but here they've got like oh. a fishing boat. <laughs> um, but I knew what was going to happen, so I feel like some of the weight of like the scene where her dad puts his hand on her her throat to hear her sing or to feel mm -hmm. her sing, that was kind of lost on me. So w watching it. For a second time, I, I think that some of that impact was dulled a little bit, but I think it is nonetheless a super heartfelt and, and special movie. Sure. Okay. Uh, if I if I may go next, because Tanner. Abram, you brought up seeing the, you seeing this for a second time. I saw this for the second time just just a couple just not that not that long ago. Uh, we just watched it today. Uh, I originally saw this back in December, and I was. Very, very pleasantly surprised when I saw this. I think that this, yeah, you know, like Abram said, this film has a lot of heart. There is uh, just about as much comedy as there is as there is really well done drama in this. All all of our performers in this do a great job balancing both of those aspects. Um, I, I I know I I'd agree that it is technically unremarkable, but you know not everything can be a dune. Okay, sometimes you don't have to have right. Sometimes Coda. <laughs> Sometimes you don't have to have super ambitious cinematography and stuff like that when you're telling a very grounded story like this. And I think Coda excels at being exceedingly human in, in its storytelling. Um, and Abram, you said uh, that you didn't cry during some of these scenes. Uh, you're a cold, heartless monster because I've seen this twice now and two scenes in this movie got me. It's Tanner that scene speaks in the truth. Yes, two scenes of this movie got me. I never cry during movies, and two scenes in this one got me. The one in the back of the truck when um, her father is listening to her, feeling her vocal cords as she sings, and uh, earlier, in, earlier at, at, at the concert itself when her family and the sound drops out when she's doing the duet. That one got me too. Super well executed scene that I want to talk about more. But first, I'd rather hear thoughts from Tucker and or Timo. Okay, I want to go next because I'm tired That's of going fun. last. Okay. Oh, you know what? I'll, simply, take, I'll simply, take the loss this time. Simply, yeah. that that is all. Um, I found this movie. I found this movie charming and funny and and heartfelt. All the stuff that you you described. I liked it. I had a good time. Um, 
And yet, I think it's it's so strange to me that this is a, feels like a Hallmark movie that was made for the Oscars. And mm. and while I think that sure. calling films like Hallmark movies maybe is a little too derisive, I like this film. I thought the, the comedy was good. Um, but at first, I was a little like, oh, um, I don't know if I'm into this story all that much. And then it, there was like a flip, a, a, a switch in my head just went like, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, this is a high school movie. This movie's about high school. And then mm -hmm. I was like, I was in. I was like, yeah, let's watch this movie about high school. But it is, of course, about so much more. And they're mm -hmm. just in the plot. There are elements, of course, that that f people like me might enjoy. I feel like this movie panders to me in some sort of way, and I'm not like that upset about it. I will explain later. But, sure, yeah, that's yeah, definitely sure. something we need to discuss. All in all, I, I had a good time. I have a couple issues here and there, a little bit with some characters. But beyond that, I found it very enjoyable. Sure. Yeah, I, I think this movie is quite fantastic. It does suffer a little bit from feeling like, oh, I, I know where this is going. I remember, you know, we did see this today. I remember back to uh, six hours ago when we watched this or whatever. It wasn't even that long ago. No. Um, where I'm sitting watching this movie and I'm like, oh, she's the main character at the high school and she's got a crush on the guy. So she's going to join the club he's in. And I'm like, this feels like... I've seen this anime before, and I'm ready to get into it. But I, I, I do think that that being an issue isn't really that big because it does frame it through an exceedingly interesting lens, an incredibly unique character put into stressful situations and under pressures that we've we've obviously never experienced before, but I've mm -hmm. never seen put forth in a movie before. And, of course, uh, Abram has, uh, mm -hmm. which might be part of an issue with this film, but uh, I, I think it's, it's fantastic because of that, even if... The cinematography and the lighting and stuff is is just it's good, but it's not yeah phenomenal. There's not really a ton of great shots. It is so competently made, and you are, it allows you to get so invested in the characters by having nothing get away of the emotional arcs that they're telling mm -hmm. and the actors on screen. I think that's really why this movie cuts straight to the bullshit and it hits for the heartstrings. Yeah, wow, a powerful statement from from Mr. Tucker there. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the core element of this film. It's in the title. It's it's like the total thesis of the film, the deafness. Let's talk about the deafness mm -hmm. and and deaf representation and how that comes across in the film. And what does that do to you while you're watching it? Does it, you know, how does it make you think? Um, well, obviously, you have we have some some uh, a very well respected deaf actress in this, Marley Matlin, uh, previous Oscar winner for Tucker. What was the name of the film again? Oh Christ! Uh, give me a uh, second. Okay, The Godfather. Uh, but, uh, no. No, not the Godfather. But you also have uh, oh, Children of a Lesser God. She won yeah, Best she... Actress for that in 1986. Yes. Um, but yeah, you have some, uh, and you know, she's very well respected in the deaf community. I did in the, in, and in the acting community, uh, Troy Kotzer, apparently they were in an episode of CSI together as a deaf couple. So how about that? Good for them. Uh, and Daniel Durant also, all these guys, all these people are fantastic and you know, they, I, I obviously, I know I, I've never personally known a deaf person in, in any, in any real capacity. Um, but they, they feel so much like people in this, like, uh, you, you, you want to be a part of this family because they're so fun and like, have, they're, they're just like having fun at the dinner table and they're swiping through Tinder and stuff like that. And like, they, I really appreciate, uh, and this is, this is happening more and more as we get on um, consultations from actual disabled people with disabilities on movies and stuff like that, that they aren't 
limited to their disability in this. Not not even in the slightest. These are these people are characters first and foremost with disabilities. These they're not disabilities that happen to be characters. They are, you know, we have defining character traits for all of them. You know, uh, even like Leo Rossi, played by Daniel Durant, who probably gets the least screen time of all of, all, of, our, of all of our characters here. He is very clearly defined with like, he he's frustrated with Ruby for being, you know, so, uh, for being like the go-to go-between between the family and the rest of the world, the hearing world. And he's frustrated that he never gets to take charge of everything because her, his parents always go to Ruby. And that's a fascinating character trait that uh, plays out in interesting ways in the film and is, you know, fostered by the fact, and it is because of the fact that he is deaf and his sister is not. But, like, yeah, I, 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 the core of it is really that all the characters are so rich and they do deaf, re deaf representation very well. I did have a piece of trivia about that as well. All of the on-set interpreters were themselves children of deaf adults. Or Coda's themselves. Uh huh. I think I, I I agree with everything you said, Tanner. And I think mm -hmm. that the other thing, from sort of more of like a, a, a filmic lens, that makes it effective is that it, it the film doesn't care if a scene is quiet and people are mm -hmm. just signing. Right. There exactly. Are, there are long and heated dialogue exchanges where there is no music telling you how to feel or to try to yeah. have mm -hmm. some sort of sound in the background as we as film has moved in that direction we've been we've had less and less just quietness throughout scenes mm -hmm. but this has no problem just stripping that back we're sitting at a dinner table or we're in that we're we're just in the hallway and we're just signing back and forth and, and i mm -hmm. think that that is is really great because I have to rely on, on, on the eye of 17-year-old Abram here for this, but as I wrote in my mm -hmm. essay in French, uh, La, Famille, La Famille Bellier played the deafness more um, for humor. And this is a humorous movie, but it's not humor at the expense of yeah. the fact that people are like, signing up. Yeah, it's, the characters are telling right. jokes in sign language that are funny, yeah. Yeah, it, it just, it, I think that the film does a nice job of just pre presenting the, the, the deafness and allowing mm -hmm. you to 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 just observe the scene without mediating it with with unnecessary sound or with unnecessarily and, and tasteless humor. I, I think it's very well done. Abram, yeah. you're using a word there that makes me want to talk a lot, and that word has five letters and it starts with sound. an S. Sound. Wow. Ah. You guys, you guys are like, oh, this film is maybe he's not super super technically outstanding in the sound category. This is the sound movie of the year, I think, because. Mm of those long scenes where there's nothing happening, there's nothing happening sonically, except that there is so much going on because you've got all the sounds of them signing and all of the sounds of the backgrounds. I found myself totally in love with those scenes because mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, it's a dialogue scene, but the, the, like, the sound design and the sound principles of it are so vastly different from any other film because, you know, it's, they're, people don't, the people don't speak. They don't vocalize. Yeah. And so I really, really love that. And I thought it was very outstanding in in not only the background sounds, but the way that the, that the actors sounded while they're um, performing. Everything to me, I, I want to learn more about how they how they did the sound in this film, because I think I think it's got some cards up its sleeve that it is not really like outwardly showing, but it was a complicated and technical process that people oh, were. Sure that I, I'm, I'm just curious about. I really enjoyed watching those scenes purely from like a nerd tech. Like I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, sorry here, drama, great. But I really care about this, uh, about all these crickets in the background and how good they sound. 
Mm. Yeah, that, that's an official Timo Nelson moment. We'll add that, mm-hmm. we'll add that to the board. You get a gold star for today, buddy. Mm-hmm. I, I think for me, the reason why the the deafness as a story point, as a element of these characters, is so fascinating is because of the way it frames the the pressures that are put on all members of the family, and and especially um, uh, uh, Ruby. Sorry, excuse me, um, mm-hmm. Ruby, and and how she is receiving pressures that. You can say, okay, yeah, I've seen this anime before. She she it wants to stay at home with her family, and she feels conflicted about leaving and, and not being able to help them. And that's sort of that's sort of the core conflict of the film. And that idea you've seen you've seen before in other things, wanting to leave home, wanting to pursue your uh, your dreams, that kind of thing. But the way that it is framed through, they have been so reliant on her to be their their interpreter for the rest of the world and when she is not there she feels guilty about that because she's tra- she's trained quote unquote her entire life to fill this role and she feels good helping her family because her family is a they're a kooky crew of characters that are very lovable and enjoyable to be around but she also knows that they physically cannot understand what her her dream is because they can't hear how good she is at singing and, and that sort of disconnect between them i think provides a really fascinating mm-hmm. subtle conflict it's not you know it doesn't come out in, in a ton of ways or you know they're arguing about it um but the way that it frames that conflict and the pressures that are placed on her and the pressures of of um her brother and her father not being able to connect to the other fishermen and those sort of things are are really well done and they they make each of these characters feel incredibly unique even if they're put into a situation that yeah, I've I've seen this Hallmark movie before. These are following story beats that are are tropes, but they're reframed enough to where I just genuinely do not care that mm-hmm. I I can kind of see where this is going. Yeah, I I will say this. I I think that Ruby is the weakest part of the film. Personally. Really? Yeah. Wow. Be, no, I, I didn't expect such a such a shock reaction. No, I, I, she's the core of this movie for me in every possible way well what right? i'm what, what i have what i think is that ruby is best when she's playing off of other people sure mostly her family and the voice coach when when ruby is by herself and i'm talking more from like it was sort of like a performance perspective and what she brings she is just the high schooler with the dream of going to college sure yeah and by contrast everybody else is more interesting so whenever it's it's really like her and ryan on screen together I don't really feel a whole lot because that's where I think it falls the most into the sort of archetype of sure, of, yeah. um, of the high school movie or whatever, right? Because in in the, in the French version, it was a famous French pop singer who who played the main character, um, mm. and, and that kind of brought a dimension that this actress doesn't bring, even though I think she's she's totally solid. But my main problem with the movie is I I wanted more of everybody other than Ruby. Because specifically with the angle of the co-op, which is the new version of this remake, it introduces this interesting layer about like class and and everything that some somewhat gets lost because we establish the co-op and it's like a big problem for the family, but then it ends up just working out okay. I wanted to know more about that because when we see Ruby, yeah, she's a great singer, but she's a great singer when she's being challenged by the voice coach or when she's struggling against her family. But when she's just there by herself, I don't know how much I care. It's just it's the side characters that I think make this movie so rich. Hmm. Um, I mean, what I would say was that I mean, yeah, I mean that that that's kind of the whole. The, I feel like the point of the movie is Ruby is being you know um, acted on by all of these outside forces by torn between her her 
her dedication to her family and the, her dream of like following one of her great her passion the one thing that she truly loves that she can do and that, that is the that is the point and she's being pulled in both of those directions so obviously whenever she's interacting with either of those elements of the story it's going to be most interesting but uh but is there like a particular like what just when she's are you talking about like when she's hanging out with miles like at the at yeah. the swimming hole or whatever yeah, yeah, um, sorry, not Ryan, but Miles. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's when we get into the more archetypal, oh, I'm at school and I'm friends with the popular girl and she's going out and she's hooking up with everybody and I don't really want to do that and I'm, shared, I'm, I'm shy when I'm trying to sing in front of the class. I, I just think that she, we, obviously her desire to leave is the heart of the movie, but I, don't, I just don't think she's the most compelling vehicle for that. Because when it's when it's just centralized on the high school stuff, I think we lose so many of the interesting characters that I think make the movie so fun. I think, yeah, it's, I, think part, I, oh, sorry. I think it's I think it's such a small part because relatively, I think that high school stuff is not a lot of the runtime of this movie. But I still like it. I I still I still sure. think that you know the while it's well it could be you know just straight out of a Netflix original or something like that. The the high school romance and drama and stuff there is is still really interesting because we have the context of Ruby having all these outside pressures going yeah. on in in her mind while she's in these scenes like oh good great this is another thing ruby has to deal with she has to deal with her best friend hooking up with her brother and miles being a dick and telling everyone about how uh, her fa her weird family <laughs> interactions that she's really self-conscious about that all these things feed into uh these scenes where she's um at high at school and dealing with her friends and the boy that she likes yeah i think that the, the abram you said like it kind of made me think, like, okay, actually, even though I qualify this movie to myself as a high school movie when I started watching it, I was like, okay, stylistically, you know, generic qualities, high school movie. But actually thinking about it, it really doesn't have too much to deal with high school. It spends, of course, a lot more time in, the in like, the musical sphere in terms of, of, of her singing, um, mm -hmm. which sort of is like Glee, but not really. I don't know. It's I don't a really jukebox musical in that sense, yeah. Somewhat like that. Um, I think mm. it's handled really well. I think the musical sequences are 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 done excellently in that. I'm mm. I'm not like okay, musical sequence time. They just kind of happen, and I'm like oh, oh singing. Um, but back to the point about it being less of a high school movie than I than I really thought. Um, I think is fine because I think that the stuff that is happening outside of the high school is ultimately more interesting. And like you said, Tanner, it's it's when it when we have the context from the stuff outside mm -hmm. of high school, from family drama, from work drama, from you know mm -hmm. having to deal with everything that Ruby has to deal with that makes high school uh, going to those scenes more enjoyable and more entertaining. The reason I, I, I reacted so vehemently to that insinuation is not because I disagree with you, because when you bring up that, okay, you don't find her being at herself, by herself with her friend, with her, her love interest, as interesting as a family, yes, I completely agree with you. that There is a balance of uniqueness, for sure, in, in terms of the two sides of the coin of her life, but the reason I think that the movie works so well is because you're able to get her in multiple situations. She's the reason why any of this, I frankly, I think is interesting, and that's why I watched the entire movie through her eyes, why I see her as the core of the film, because, and Tanner brought this up, and I think it's absolutely true, it's the pressures that she feels internally that fuel every, every aspect of this film, at least in my opinion. When mm -hmm. she's, when she's uh, going to the swimming hole, uh, the reason that that scene is interesting is not because she's doing a meet cute scene with her love interest, which is, you know, 
well done and, and i like their chemistry mm-hmm. together i and i, yeah, I like that cute. light yeah. cute story of of them meeting through music but the reason that yeah. scene is interesting is because she as the child of deaf adults and and has this whole storyline going in the background about the co-op and being the interpreter you have that pressure in your mind that this is a fun scene and they're kissing and it's cute but she should be somewhere else at this moment because she has this pressure and she doesn't realize it and it makes finishing that scene and having her come home very happy she just had her first kiss and then, and then it's all ripped away. Like there's an ebb and flow of releasing the tension and allowing her to just be a high school girl and have a, a best friend and have a, a light romance and learn to sing and do that kind of thing. But then brought, having her brought back to reality and, and it's an ebb and flow of her pressures. That is what this entire film is grounded upon in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I agree. I just, I just think that like, we, the 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 family is so interesting in their alienation from the community and we get like shots of that when when the wives are packing the fish and then and then Ruby's mom is like unable to participate or or when Leo is sitting at is sitting at the bar and drinking the beer and everyone else is laughing and he doesn't understand what's going on cuz he physically he can't and then the co-op is this huge endeavor for the family they're moving beyond their sort of like class position and they're trying to connect to this community that doesn't understand them and we see it through the eyes of ruby of course which is cool and and the ways that she has through that link but then what happens when that link is taken away but there really is not a lot of tension created by the co-op because the co-op just kind of exists and it does well and then they're being interviewed by the news and everybody loves them all of a sudden and then that's the most hallmarky movie element of this film and and that's and that's what i say that's what i really mean when i say that ruby is at her best when she's interacting with other characters and when we spend more time just on her even though yeah we're supposed to feel happy that she's she's chasing her goal but oh it's being pulled away oh maybe she has a chance but what about the family? Because Leo is so interesting. The parents are so interesting. But they feel mm. really, especially in the back half of the film, I think everybody other than Ruby feels underserved, which is, of course, to the design of the story being told. But I just don't necessarily know if that's the most interesting version of this story. Because like when we when we have the, the voice coach for just a moment interact with the parents and there's all of these tensions with those characters, that's so cool and that's so interesting. And why does the co-op work so well? I just... The movie leaves me wishing that it was 20 minutes longer and we had mm. more of everybody else around well, Ruby. What I would say is I don't think 20 minutes could solve that. I think if we if we wanted to flesh out all the things that you're talking about, we we need a Coda the Limited series, which I would totally embrace. I love all these characters are interesting sure. enough and all these story elements are interesting enough that I would totally watch that. Apple Apple Plus TV Plus TV uh greenlight it. Uh, go ahead and do, go ahead and do that. But um, I think well, I think the story we're given, and, you know, if if you think, I, I I would I would say that um, I prefer to judge movies on what they are as opposed to what they aren't. You know, and I I, I give benefit to things that are like oh I have like I would have liked to see more of that. Obviously, that's a strong aspect of a of a film in that regard. But I think um, having the story centered solely around Ruby is it, it it drives home the, you know, the the themes of what it's trying to say of like and it, it ties into the um the the musical motif the song that uh, her and miles sing which is you know i need to get by uh is the theme of this movie is you know what does it mean to be needed by people and to need other people like to belong to something and what does it mean to move away from that if you feel the need if you feel the desire to this is all really interesting it gets into you know like 
Uh, it, it, it can it can be very relatable on that level, which I think is another strength of this film. You know, I think there's something to, to relate to for everyone. Uh, when I was talking about this with Tucker before we watched it, I was saying, I don't think there is a legitimate human way to dislike the movie Coda just because it is so wholesome. It is so relatable on some sort of level for everyone. And it's so, you know, it's it's just it's just funny and cute and heartwarming and sort of uh, it, it know it what knows when to drop the floor out from under your heart what it needs to and then sort of build it back up over time. I think it's really uh, well done in all those grounds and very, a very well paced out story, I would say, because like you're alluding to, it is dealing with a lot of elements. And I feel like they all get an appropriate amount of time considering what the focus of the film is, that being Ruby, obviously. Yeah, I am. Um, I think Tanner, you make a you make a very important point about it. The film being focused on Ruby. The title is, you know, ostensibly her, right? Yeah, she she, yeah, she is, is the Coda. Ruby, and yeah. um, <laughs> that'll be the prequel. Who's the real? Uh, that'll be the all, Apple TV the plus movies equals limited series, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I also find myself in Abrams' camp a little bit because I'm like, ah, when I talk about this movie pandering to me. The whole mm. co-op arc is pandering to me. I knew you were going to say that, Timo. Because <laughs> the whole it's it's uh, it's based, man. Like, what else yeah, can I is. say? Like, they're like, yeah. let's stand up and fight for us our rights to sell the fish at a fair price, and mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, those those scenes just appeal to me. Be even beyond like me liking the story and me liking what's going on. I'm like, I'm like, I just want to see more of this because, truthfully. Stuff like that. This film pushes the boundaries in what films normally show. Films up until now have not normally shown deafness in such a centralized and, you know, ultimately extremely sympathetic. And mm-hmm. in the it basically, like, if, if there's a correct way to portray deafness, um, coming from me, who knows not a huge amount about this mm-hmm. whole subject, but in in my opinion, I feel like this is on the right path. And similarly, I think in when you're going to take issues of class and co-ops and like worker solidarity, even mm-hmm. this film does a good job with those subjects, too, which is surprising given, you know, all the other elements going on with it. And so mm-hmm. while I would have yet yeah, like, ah, yeah, I would have loved to see more of those scenes and like, oh, how did they make the co-op? How what's going on with that? You're right, Tanner. Ultimately, the story is not about the co-op. Although, come on, Apple, your, your Ruby limited series better have a lot of awesome meeting drama with co- uh-huh. uh, for, with the co-op board. We need Coda 2. Where is it? We are, we are, we are begging for it. What's, what's the musical um, term that's like the, you know, the Coda, and then there's, some, there's usually something else with around surrounding uh, a Coda um, in a music. Yeah. Treble clef? No, yeah, man. I don't think Whole that's it. Note. <laughs> uh, I, I think the, the interesting thing about how well handled the co-op stuff is is be, is that it is interesting and yes i would absolutely love to see more and it does feel pretty convenient frankly when mm-hmm. it's a problem they got their boat taken away okay then, then, then we're focusing on ruby and i think the reason why actually all these choices were made to steer the story where they're going to steer the focus where it's going is because i i, I think and I obviously agree with this. It's okay if you if you don't, but I think the the writers realize that the the catalyst for this film being interesting is Ruby, and so the co op that being a problem for her brother and her father and her being their translator. All these things are based around how is she interacting with these elements, and and whether you connect to that or not is is obviously a, a larger question. But the idea that we're not spending too much time on that because. 
unless she's more directly involved with it, it isn't as important to the economy of storytelling of this, you know, two-hour movie. Um, I, I think that there was, there's there's clear choices here in, in how they balance out the film where I never felt like I was missing things more that I would love to see more. If, this, if there was a three-hour cut of CODA where you're able to dive into even just <laughs> dive into other things like the relationship between her brother and her friend or or the way that um her her mom and dad talk about money together like there are interesting splinters of this story that i i didn't feel unfulfilled that i didn't get that i didn't get those questions answered i guess is what i'm saying yeah yeah i kind of i i i'm 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 the, the the dog going on the walk and he sees the squirrel and all he wants is the squirrel now right mm-hmm. i I do think, on on the most subjective level, that the stuff they don't show is more interesting than the stuff they do show, but that's a personal yeah. thing of, I would rather be challenged by a story that tries to place this family in the context of the of the society and community that is putting them down, opposed yeah. to the feel-good story of Ruby gets into Berkeley, right? Yeah. The, to me, that is less interesting. Mm. But I couldn't make Coda, and whenever I'm talking about these things, I never supposed to know better than the filmmakers, but all we do here is bitch about other people's work anyway. <laughs> so I don't really feel unjustified in saying that, but I, I certainly do recognize that Ruby sits at the heart of this version of the story. Yeah. So if we're going to talk about Ruby, I would really like to talk about her in the context of my favorite character in the entire film, who is the voice coach. Because I think that the relationship ah. they have is so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Bernardo Villalobos. Yes. Especially the scene when they're Can working. Can you roll your R's, Abram? Bernardo. <laughs> no. Nailed it. Nailed I've never it. been Yikes. able to. You're going to have to. I, I, you're going to have to. Quit choir, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> my inability to roll my eyes is one of the many things that pushed me out of French shortly after I actually wrote that paper. But the, the scene the scene when she goes to hit, to Mr. V's house um, and, and they're working and she's just not, she's not letting loose. And so mm-hmm. they do the thing where they're making the monster noises back and forth and pushing into each other's hands. Like, he just, he's got such a charisma and he just brings stuff out of his out of ruby when they're playing off each other both on a plot level but on a performance level that i just think is amazing and that scene also has a has a a moment where i was like i was kind of questioning because he is like uh mr v is like tracking down this dialogue line where he's gonna like make her do a like a deaf person accent and the film definitely avoids doing that and i was very happy Mm -hmm. to see because like it's kind of icky and gross and so the, the mm-hmm. way that they they move that into the yell, the monster growling and just like make an an ugly sound not like speak like speak in a, in a characterized way um mm-hmm. that is you know just harmful to deaf people um i was just glad to see that in that scene and i think you're right i mean he's he's a very charismatic dude even though ah oh, man why do all these high school teachers just got to be kind of like assholes until you hang out with them Outside of class, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eugenio Derbez, he plays uh, Bernardo Villalobos. Bernardo. Uh, he's, a, he's a he's a very he's a very well known Latin American actor, very well known uh, comedic actor in in those countries and in America. And yeah, he does a great job uh, in that in that role because he's really he is. If if uh, Ruby is the catalyst of this story, he is Ruby's catalyst in a lot of ways. Mm. He is the one that pushes her, who gives who plants the idea. And gives her the the push that she needs to pursue her passion of singing and going to Berkeley and, and stuff like that. And, you know, he has uh, some really great lines. I think 
uh, he, he, he asks, like, her and Miles, you know, what do you think this song is about? And it sort of states, it's the thesis statement of the film, which is what it means, what it means to need somebody, which, uh, then Ruby restates to her father in that scene, they got me to cry the second time. Um, but yeah, I think, I think he's absolutely great. Uh, he obviously can pull some of the comedic stuff off, like when he says, nice to finally, nice to fuck you or whatever, when he meets, um, her, Ruby's parents. It's all, it's all just great stuff from him. I yeah, want. Oh, I just want to say quickly about him. The reason I am positive on this character is not because I love his inclusion in the story in a particular way. I think his performance is is good. He's very funny. But the reason I'm positive on him is because I started this film watching this this teacher character who's being kind of grumpy and mad that he's missing his meditation, and I'm like, I've seen this guy before. And I, I don't like these kind of characters. They're just so obnoxious to me. But he was mm. able to turn it around. And from Timo's point, the idea that you just gotta, you just gotta hang out with your teachers to get past the like <laughs> crusty exterior. But then mm. once he becomes a really genuine catalyst to unlock Ruby's ability to more, more think for herself and be okay with reaching for her dreams, that's mm-hmm. a really interesting story point. That, that frankly, the idea of being needed by other people is obviously, I think, the the core of the film. But when you're reading it through Ruby's lens, it's her uh, drive for being okay with going for her passions and not feeling mm-hmm. not feeling restrained and accepting that it it is okay to try something new. Um, and that's that's kind of how I was watching the film. So when we get to those points where the two of them are pushing against each other, and she pulls, they stop. She pulls back, and she just belts in her singing and goes all into it. You can feel the passion there. And frankly, for me, all that emotion does come from Amelia Jones' performance. Mm-hmm. I think she's Absolutely. she's really incredible. And the fact yeah. that she had to, for this film, learn how to work on a fishing boat, sing, and do yeah. sign language is such an insane and acting accomplishment on top of the fact that she's British. And she you could oh. you, that does not come across no. at all huh? in, in her speaking um, or her singing. Tucker, yeah, two point. Amelia Jones spent nine months learning ASL, having singing lessons, and learning how to operate on a fishing boat. So, not nine months of work before filming started. Before so. a couple months of filming. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, yep. I, I, you know, Abram, I think, I think old Mr. V. I like Mr. V. You know, he. In a, in a Tucker and I had a band teacher in high school named Mr. V, so the yeah, rela- yeah, right. rela- relatability like is off the charts in this film. I Mr. Villanueva <laughs> found my favorite character to be to be the father to be uh, oh Frank Rossi. Frank, dude, man, that guy's just a straight up baller. Everything Troy Kotzer, Troy, my man. Every time he does like an action, I would always just you know any, he 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 does something in the film. I was always like, yeah, mm-hmm. I I like this guy a lot. This guy's awesome. Well, I think it's I think it's prominently when he's standing outside and decides to uh, spark up a fatty as mm-hmm. uh, as as Ruby says <laughs> as Ruby signs to him, and he's mm-hmm. just like, I don't care, it's medical, I don't give a shit. And obviously, you know. That resonates. Um, <laughs> shout, got a shout-out. Got a shout-out, Troy Kotzer. He liked one of my tweets when I well, tweeted out that um, the scene in the in the bed of the truck when Ruby sings is my most emotional scene of the year, or 2021. He liked that tweet. Troy, Troy Kotzer, you're my man. You're my favorite to win uh, Best Supporting Actor this year, which he is, of course, nominated for alongside a few other nominations, this being obviously nominated for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay from Sean Hader. Sean Hader, yeah. So it's only like nominated this. for three things. Only mm-hmm. three. Adapted screenplay, Troy Kotzer in a supporting role, and best picture. 
I'd like to say two things. First of all, uh, Troy Kotzer, I'm going to have to retroactively make my favorite character uh, because he was in The Mandalorian, as I just learned after Googling. Yes, he did. He um, did all the, um, he, he, the Tusken Raider stuff. Yeah, he coordinated all the sign language for the Tusken Raiders in, in The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, I believe. Well, the other thing I have to say is I, had to dub I have to make a double-double retraction because neither the father nor Mr. V are my favorite character. I was on crack when I said that before. Because oh, I, I see. I, I really love the mother. The mother is my other favorite Jackie. character. I, yeah, I have too Rossi. many favorite characters, I would say. <laughs> Be because I, I think that, the again, this is another element of the film that I wish we got a little bit more of, but the ways that the, that the mother... I love the part when they're at the at the breakfast table and and Ruby's like, oh, I joined choir and yeah, the, I the, love the that mother. scene too. It's like, why would if I was if I was I think she said if I was blind, would you you would be painting, painting? Yeah, yeah. And I think their relationship is becomes like a like a W tier plot and, and with all the things going on here. But the two scenes we get that one and then when they're when they're sitting on on Ruby's bed are both fantastic. And she Absolutely. adds this weird dimension to the film where like she's self-centered and doesn't believe in her child but also loves her unconditionally it's, it's mm -hmm. just it's this weird paradoxical thing that i think yeah. adds a lot to complicate um the, the the plot in a way that i didn't really expect was going to be complicated and, and then i i agree T tucker i agree with the, the sort of convenience of, of, of the film as it moves into the end it's like now forget all this stuff now it's just gonna be the happy ending moment yeah. which is neither here nor there really but uh, when when we're getting that like weird gray child parent relationship stuff i thought it was quite quite compelling yeah i really love that stuff too because yeah it, it points to you know uh, a character flaw within jackie that she is like she puts her, we we start out thinking like oh she's just putting herself before uh ruby and that's exactly what ruby thinks it's like oh well this singing is something that i love to do but you're implying that i'm just doing it as a rebellious act because it's something that uh, that that differentiates me from you, but then you know we get that scene between her and Frank when she's like, "What if she's ter I don't want her to fail. Like I don't want her to leave. I don't want her to fail. I don't want any of this stuff." And um, Frank has that great line where he where he signs. Um, she she's never been a baby, you know. And we we get this understanding that's alluded to with a few lines in the film that Ruby's been doing this, like translate like tra uh, translating and interpreting and th and things like this. Since she was old enough to speak, probably, and, you yeah. know, understand societal norms, like, she ordered a beer for her parents or whatever, like Miles says. And, you know, it's all really interesting context that fleshes out this very warm and heartfelt and uh, deep family dynamic that they have. I, I alluded to um, Leo and Ruby's sort of relationship at the beginning and Leo's relationship with the rest of the family being that... I want to take a role in, like, building the co-op and stuff like that and taking an active role in all sorts of societal things. But Ruby's always the go-to person for that. And I've, I've been babied my whole life, and I don't want that anymore. And that and so he's in favor of Ruby leaving, so he can finally take on some responsibility that Ruby always has. And Ruby feels an, a, a need to have these responsibilities because she is the, she is the only hearing person in her family. All this stuff is just super rich and super interesting and informs all of the interactions in the film and it, it makes yeah. for a super enjoyable character viewing because all the characters that also that that like matter in the movie that are that show up for more than like a, a little bit here and there have depth mm -hmm. they all do which mm -hmm. is you know we on this show have reviewed plenty of films plenty of films that won that um have like one 
maybe a half of a character's worth of like real depth in them. And so it's very refreshing to be like, oh, you know, the I, 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 I'm not as hot on the mom as you are, Abram, but I, I agree with your points in in that. So, Troy Kotzer is. He disagrees oh, with you heavily. I want to get, get to all the comedy surrounding that because that's all fantastic okay, stuff okay, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. but, you know, the, the, I, the thing of her nuance in her character and uh, of her love, but her, her kind of, you know, on a, her inability to really, uh, really get why her daughter wants to do this mm-hmm. until later in the film. Um, yeah. And her inability to articulate those feelings yeah. that and, that end up coming off as selfish yeah. and, and yeah. kind of rude. I think she's that's an interesting afraid, dynamic. Yeah, she's afraid that she is never going to be able to relate to Ruby because she because Ruby can hear and she cannot. And she expresses that in that scene in the bedroom. And I think that's a really interesting mother-daughter relationship that can be captured by uh, a, a female writer-director like we have in Sean Hader. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the scene where she... where where. Um, the mother, what's her name? Um, Jackie. Jackie, Jackie says, you know, oh, I, I do. I, I did wish that you were born deaf as a child. Mm-hmm. Very heartfelt. You know, it's always hard. Yeah. I always, you know, parents, parent child relationships are, the, are like the guaranteed thing to get me to pull, pull mm-hmm. the tear ducts right out and make me ball like a, yeah. like a wee lad. But speaking of may may i discuss my, my two cries before um before we get to the comedy my, my laugh my, my crying sadness before we get to our my crying laughing okay um the first crying one is in, laughing emoji insert here <laughs> the first one is uh in the uh, the first concert uh, at the school when uh you know obviously like the whole the, it's sort of like an awkward thing the family's like not really sure they can't clap on beat obviously because they can't hear and they um frank stands up a bit too long when they're doing a standing ovation but when the sound drops out and you you're just sitting on the family's faces and then you go to uh ruby and miles singing and then you see like other people like nodding along like they're really getting into the song that these that, that this these two are duetting and you see the lady crying and uh even like um leo's girlfriend ruby's best friend or what i, I don't know i think it's gertie name. which is gertie, just that's a right. net yes. In, a nasty Gertie, ass name, frankly, but Gertie's getting emotional too, and then you like, and then you go back to the family. You go back to the family's faces. If I continue making my point, that is heartbreaking to me. I I I can't help. I I teared up. I I had I I just, I just stopped the tears from coming out because holy God, that just punches you right in the heart. You're like, because it it it, it really it fades out, but it's a fast fade, and you're like, oh, and it just lets you sit in that silence for. I don't even know how long it feels Couple like it minute a mi- it, it over feel, a minute at least. <laughs> yeah, it feels it feels a lot longer than it actually is just because you're like, oh, this is what like they this is why they can't get it because, you know, and they feel that they feel they feel bad that they can't, you know, connect to the music like this. And that's why they I think the heart of this film is that they need to connect to Ruby's desire for it rather than the music itself. And that just that that just like uh drop kicks my heart and both times that i've seen the film and of course or do you guys have any thoughts on that scene well just that the for a film of uh starring deaf people it that is the only time that there is there is true Mm -hmm. complete silence in the film um and it i i applaud the restraint there of the of the filmmakers in holding that that's an easy technique it's it's not it's easy um uh but you know in the right spot 
man, is it effective. Mm-hmm. It is super, yeah, super powerful. Um, and because it's probably only used once, because it's only used for that scene, you know, it's not like um, I've been watching s- scenes over and over again from like A Quiet Place where we mm-hmm. go into, there's a, a deaf child in that film. We go into their headspace and we hear what they hear um, more often, certainly a lot more often than here in, in this film. And so I like that decision to situate Everything, you know, in the film outside of the family's hearing except for one moment, and it's, like, the most critical. Yeah. I think what's so effective about it, Timo, is it's, you're right, it's perfectly timed because as the, not even, just as the viewer, I want to hear them sing. I want to hear them do the duet finally. Like, this is what, as the audience, beyond the sort of the nuance of the family and everything, you... Ruby's learning to sing the song. It's time for Ruby to sing the song. It's time for me as the audience member to go, ah, I've been with this girl for an hour. It's time for her big accomplishment. And then we don't get to hear it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting way to use not only the technique sparingly, but in a way that robs the audience of something they want, which Mm -hmm. which is the fastest path into into the minds of the family. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And and I think the interesting thing is, and actually, hold on. Tanner, say your thing first, and then I've got a, a point. Oh, uh, I, 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 you want me to go on to the, yes, the scene yes. in the back of the truck? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, and that is the perfect follow-up to that scene because we t- we, we, we've taken away this thing from the audience from being able to hear it in the, uh, the, auditorium. This, the auditorium setting. And now we get a very personal scene between Ruby and Frank. They're sitting in the back of the truck. It's a starlit sky. And Frank asks, that song that you sang at the at the concert, what was it about? And Ruby says, it's about, you know, what, what it means to really need somebody. And he asks, well, can you sing it for me? And then this is what I, this this scene is, I think, if Troy, this is going to be Troy Kotzer's Oscar reel moment at the end. Probably. At the, absolutely it is. Because his facial expressions, you know, he's he's this weathered old man. You know, he's seen he's seen decades out on the ocean, on the, on the Atlantic Ocean. He's, he's salty. In, He's a, a barnacle-crusted individual. The mean seas of Massachusetts that she, Abram has to He would to show up as a wrangle. flapjack side character. Yeah. Abram has to wrangle those every day when he goes to school or whatever. That's true. Um, but, yeah, he, you know, he, and he, just the, like, the facial expressions he makes underneath of his giant bushy gray beard and his wrinkled face. And he is, you know, he's holding back tears the same way. And, you know, he's so gently holding uh, Ruby's, like, right here on her throat so he can feel the vibrations god it, it, it is it is a perfectly executed scene and as I, I will double down on this point uh you know the most emotional scene of 2021 tanner can i tell you that you're wrong oh, oh am i wrong because because here's the thing i think i think that's a, a lovely scene yeah one of the film's best but the but the one that got me to tear up the only one that did it for me is yeah. when she begins signing for her family at the Berkeley edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's I'm in a, the same that's boat. A, yeah, yeah. I, I will say that I w- this is one place where I wish they had been a little bit more restrained and not cut into the montage of like selling the fish or whatever. Sure. Because when we're just when we're just holding on on first of all, I love the I love the moment when Mr. V hears that she's just fucking up, so he just yeah. jams on the wrong key. Ooh, sorry. And, and, and the, then, the look that he gives her is like, all right, let's let's, let's fucking do this thing. Come on now. Yeah. And when she really starts belting it out, and then she starts to sign it for the family, and then the judges mm-hmm. look back, like it gets, it gets, I, it gets so hammy that it just breaks through the fucking barrier. It's so for me and cheesy. Yeah. It is literally That's, so yeah. cheesy, but oh man, it, it, it doesn't it even just, matter. It doesn't it, matter that it's it, so on the nose and it cheesy. It octuples down. Yeah. That's why it works for me. Yeah. It, it just, it just, 
it puts its it puts its whole uh, coda into it. Nice, and, and, yes, and, and and that sells the scene. It puts me. its heart on its sleeve. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think what we're talking about here: the auditorium scene, the truck bed scene, the audition scene, even the scene of of her and her mother on the bed having that heart to heart. There's multiple sequences, and also the uh, the scene where she meets um, her brother on the beach, and they yeah. have that moment there. Like there's so many sequences here that I'm kind of formulating in my head that well, the last third of this film, I would say, is this is all. All uh, Ruby all the time, and, and there's no stopping. I think it actually is because we are taken away from so much of the things that have been established before. We don't we don't really see Miles. We don't really see um, too much interaction with Mr. V. We don't really see too much interaction with her friend. We're taken out of all of these things and put into a scenario that is about her, who, as I said, is the emotional core of the film, especially for me. And I think that's why this, this last act of the film is just all gas, no breaks, frankly. Like, mm-hmm. all these scenes are emotional. They're fantastically acted. Quit quit your smirking. I'm trying to make a point here. Tanner goes, making, he's, he's, he has a, for all you audio-only listeners, Tucker says that it's completely straight face. A, a moment passes, he giggles a little bit, and then goes back to his completely straight face, and it just got me. It just made me mm-hmm. laugh. Like, many like of the Andrew moments Callahan. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I, I just want to close off by saying, I, I, I think this last act is so powerful because it focuses so hard on Ruby, and Yes, it's because it's manipulating you emotionally because mm-hmm. it's it it's doing these hallmark moments and it's octupling down on its cheesiness. But I, I feel like I feel that it's earned because it yes, spent absolutely. so much of the movie investing you in these characters and investing you in in Ruby's journey to want to pursue her passions and she's not quite sure until this last moment when she sees her family in the audience, you know, sneaking up the stairs, tinkle tinkle tinkle, tinkle uh, <laughs> to to watch her. And then she finally is able to go through that. And I, I agree. I kind of wish they had cut to uh, um, uh, the montage that essentially wraps up the rest of the film. Um, but I, I think they spent enough time onto it where that is my emotional moment yeah. of the film as well. And I think it's also one of, um, of Amelia Jones' best moments in the film in terms of her performance. Mm. And just, I, I listened to an interview about this, just imagining how difficult it must have been for her, someone who doesn't sign or sing, to get that scene right for it to be edited properly. Because mm. as she as she mentioned in an interview, she had to learn to sing, and, you know, seven takes, she sings great seven, like, in seven takes. Okay, sure, auditorially, you can use seven different takes for that, but if her signing is only good in one of the takes, that's the only one you can use mm-hmm. for the entire thing. So the mm-hmm. amount of dexterity and focus that that requires, I, it really shows through, and I think, you know, all the moments that I can think of in the film relate back to to Ruby's experience and, and how much I... I'm able to relate to her even as someone with without an, any of this kind of experience. I think it's mm. it's really fantastic, and it's that last act of the film that nails that home. Maybe with an, a cartoonishly sized hammer of this is <laughs> you're supposed to feel emotional here. All the emotional threads are coming together, but it 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 absolutely hit home for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, does anyone have any final dramatic things? Otherwise, I want to get on to the silly goofy stuff. Let's <laughs> let's let's have a little giggle, a little chuckle. Why not? Um, I think the comedic highlight of this, if we were doing, if we were giving Troy Kotzer a comedy Oscar, it would absolutely be that scene where he's talking to, uh, where he, he's like, 
<laughs> the scene where he's with him and Jackie and Ruby and Miles are in the living room after they've heard them having sex. They, Frank and Jackie, not not the, not the teenagers who are you know who they tell like, hey, make sure you wear condoms. And Troy Kotzer does all these signs of like doing the soldier stuff. He's like, huh, you buckle it up, and, you, and he does the he does the the condom sign. You tie that up, throw it in the garbage, and it is just it it, it 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 goes on for a long time, and it just keeps getting funnier based on how long this like little sequence of him like telling him basically to wear a condom when you have sex with my daughter goes on. Yeah, yeah. and 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 just you know the inversion. Okay, the the father mm-hmm. is like is is not saying like hey stay away from my daughter or I'll shoot you you know with my gun. Mm-hmm. He's like he's like okay whatever. Like he's a hippie. He loves having sex. He loves banging yeah. his wife. So why? Why should he deprive his daughter of the joy that he himself holds so dearly? Mm-hmm. But then the fact that that the that the scene, like you said, drags on, and we get to see just reaction shot after reaction shot of the two teenagers just Ooh. dying. They just they could Ooh. not want to be anywhere else. They don't want, want to be anywhere else, anywhere else more in, than this moment. And it's so funny. It's so funny to Amelia, watch. Amelia Jones's face after it all happens is so hilarious. She's just like. I can't believe he just fucking did that in front of this guy that I that I've never brought over here. He's never seen this person before, and he just mimed out an entire like one act play, basically. Yeah, an an entire one act play of how to put on a condom, and you should use a condom. See, I don't even think that's the funniest part of the scene. I think the funniest part of the scene is when they leave and then the parents look at each other and start laughing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's the that's, part that really gets me. That's the period at the end of the sentence, mm-hmm. actually. That's the part oh, where oh, I'm no. like, I love these parents because they, they're like, they're like, haha, we just fucked with our daughter. <laughs> yeah. I think what makes the characters so charming and relatable and funny is that they're they have bits of humor and so infused within their relationships and that's something that i can relate to as someone who has a comedian as a father and he and i are always barbing back and forth and when i'm talking to my parents just on the phone or on facetime as as tanner can attest there's Mm -hmm. no there's really no serious moments between any of us and it's the same with them unless you're in a argument or a genuinely like heartfelt serious moment you're you, you, you always operate on some level of humor, and that's true for them as well. I think the reason it hits so hard and has to be so clever and witty is because this is sign humor, which I have mm-hmm. never seen done before. Even when we're watching Shape of Water or we're watching uh, um, Sound of Metal, these are great movies with great depth representation, but they don't do signing jokes. I mean, maybe there's one or two in each of them, but this film continuously hammers home that they're doing funny signs, that they make up things to do an insult to one another, mm-hmm. and those moments just are off the charts funny because they're so unique. I've literally never seen this before. Mm-hmm. Like when uh, when Ruby my, uh, signs like uh, shit face to her brother at the very beginning and she like, she like, she's like, and she's like, oh, she's like, rub it in on your face. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's a good one. Never heard of that one before. Yeah, yeah, nice one. <laughs> I also oh. love, and I got spoiled in the trailer, which is not something I say often because I don't usually watch these fucking things, but mm-hmm. the tender at the table joke is, I think, maybe the funniest in the entire movie. Yeah. Where, where he's, because it just, first of all, the idea of, of showing your parents who you're trying to fuck on Tinder is already mm-hmm. really funny. But you can't <laughs> listen to music at the table because oh. we can't enjoy that together. But we can enjoy Leo's Tinder together. I think that was fantastic. Oh, yeah. So and also, yeah. I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta pull up the... <laughs> my balls Frankl- look like Frank- barnacles oh god oh. yeah the sequence in the doctor's office is which, also hilarious which sets, up why, which sets up why the sex talk scene is so funny because mm-hmm. you know that the, the context is you're not even they're not even supposed to be fucking right now no, they've yeah. got to no. abstain they've infected each other <laughs> but but the scene where where Frank 
is letting just a, a straight up joint in yeah. public at at his work, and and he's like, eh, it's medical, I don't care, and she's like. I don't think being deaf makes it legal for you to spark a fatty in public. <laughs> and just the phrasing of spark a fatty done through signing is just comedic gold. The mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. Holy shit. Oh. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah I, I think, uh, I feel like, uh, does anyone else have any uh, any final notes on Coda or should we start wrapping it up here? Let's, uh, let's, well, I think maybe we've come to the Coda of this review, so it's time oh, to, uh, nice. <laughs> Time to nice. maybe oh, rank God. it. You've, you, you've killed Tucker with that. I, he's gone. We're gonna have a three-man average this week. Uh-huh. Uh What am I gonna? Mm-hmm. What, is it t- what, what little number am I gonna put in there, Tanner? Oh boy. Uh, hopefully a high one because I think this and movie's really great. Wouldn't, I think this movie's fantastic. Yeah. Wouldn't Wouldn't you like to know? Hmm? Well, all right. I've got a number. Uh, I have mine in for sure. All right. We all do. Let's find out what it is. Where it goes on the list in three, two, one. Oops. Boop. Whoa, okay, there we go. We have our score, and it is an even number, 9.0. So immediately nice. going to go to the line. to the top of the list by 0.3 points, beating up Power of the Dog. The point breakdown, Tucker, well, no, let's not start at the let's not start at some random place, okay? Let's start at the top. Mm-hmm. Tanner gave it a 9.6, then Tucker's 9.3, my 9.0, and then Abrams 7.9. So a little bit of a jump there in between, uh, in between what third and fourth on the uh, on the ranking. Abram, mm-hmm. care to uh, care to elucidate for us why um, you gave it that score? A very, yeah. a still a, still a very positive score, yeah. I might right, add. Right, right, right. I think yeah, no it's just it's, it. it's the odd one out yeah. though. Mm. Yeah, I think the movie for me is like right on the the cusp of greatness. But I I, I think that I watched it last night and it's already starting to leave my memory a little bit. Not, not because I don't think that it is incredibly emotional and, and fun and engaging, but I just, for me, I think the best, best picture has really challenged me in some way. And, and when I watch this movie, I love the heart, I love the characters, but I see that there's this avenue to challenge me with, with the co-op plot line or what have you, and it just, it just steers away from that, intentionally so, but as a result, I, I feel like the sort of framework under this movie doesn't do a whole lot for me the way that maybe the subtext of power of the dog does or something and again uh, on a technical level timo i i totally agree that the sound is impressive but when i think about a movie like dune and what that does with the audio visual experience of film coda just doesn't do that i i think that it does a great job at being what it is which is a super heartfelt and fun family drama but for me it just doesn't quite go beyond that I think the reason I'm I'm sort of skewing even more positive on this than I frankly expected to be going into this, and even sort of coming off the movie, I was like, I, I enjoyed that a lot, but I'm, I'm realizing as it goes on, the reason I'm especially putting it so high on this list, it's certainly at the top of my favorite Best Picture nominees of this year, uh, is because this in no way feels like a Best Picture nominee. Or, I was going to get to that as well. yeah. The fact that this is... It is an indie movie. I mean, it's it's, it's mm-hmm. distributed by Apple, but you can tell through the um, through through the cinematography and the lighting, which aren't on as on the level of everything else. Power of the Dog, Dune, like these movies are crazy shots and set composition and all this mm-hmm. crazy stuff. This does feel lower stakes, and I think that's really refreshing, frankly. And that's why it stands out in my mind. I, I it is a hallmark. I've seen this anime before. Film. But I, I found that to be actually kind of nice for a film of this writing quality, this acting quality, and this nomination quality. 
I mm. would have honestly wanted to see this nominated for more. Frankly, for me, Amelia Jones should have been nominated for Best Lead Actor Actress. She she was sort of in the conversation initially, but like, I don't really care about Nicole Kidman and being the Ricardos. Like, <laughs> she's, she's got enough awards. She's Get her fine, out of but there. like yeah. the the way that Amelia Jones had to change so much of of the way that she acted to do this film and was able to knock it out of the park, in my opinion, I think mm. she deserved an Oscar for that. I, I honestly. I, and she, the, might even, uh, it, she might even be my, my favorite performance of the female performance of the year. Like, I would have given her the Oscar. But yeah. I, 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 I think also for sound and stuff like that, this film should have been nominated more. And that's crazy to say because it is a lower stakes movie. It is a Hallmark mo- a Hallmark style movie. It, like, it's just so special, I think. Yeah. And on top of the fact, uh, going back to Amelia Jones, like you said there for a talker, on top of the fact that she's not even 20 yet. At the time of recording, her birthday is in a couple days. She did yes. this one. She, she did this movie when she was probably 18, 19, and she did nine months of preparation with all these, learning all these different things. Crazy impressive. Insanely impressive. But if I can give my final thoughts, I'd agree with Tucker. You know, this is a, this is a coming-of-age family dramedy jukebox musical, essentially. And it got nominated for Best Picture, yeah. In a year that was, you know, rel- relatively quite stacked. Uh, and I just think oh. it, it, it and somehow I think it I think it, having seen all of these, it's my number one. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to clue you guys in right now. But having not rewatched the other uh, six of these yet, uh, it's my number one far and away. I think that it is it captures a level of humanity and does it with by including, you know, a cast of deaf actors, which is insanely important, you know, including uh, people um, across the spectrum with different disabilities and ethnicities and, and genders and stuff like that. Getting all these people into cinema and including them on all levels of cinema. As Tucker said, this is an indie film and it's it's competing against, you know, multi-million, hundred million dollar budget Dune and the power of the dog. And, you know, you got prestige directors like Kenneth Branagh in there and you have Coda, a very a very heartfelt character focused indie dramedy that is in there and still and and somehow you know stands out apart from all of them but is on on the par of all of these movies quality wise also yeah. uh sean hater's second uh feature film so she's wow. very wow big wow. that's a huge accomplishment Mm-hmm. For me, I think that uh, you guys have have pretty much said what I think about a lot of these uh, about the film as a whole. I think the story's kind of conceited. I, I like the you know the deaf girl who loves music and like uh, the you know the the setup. Whatever, I can get past that though. I'm past that. Like five minutes into the movie, I'm like, ah, I care about this dad and I love how he smokes his joint wherever he wants and you know he's he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He just like me manner. for real. <laughs> <laughs> but um. What would what would really have made this film amazing is if it, if they had p- taken the correct path at the club choosing scene, and they'd gone down the film club route instead of the oh, music club yeah. route. I have that yeah, point yeah. right at the bottom here. Uh, <laughs> SMH, she should have joined film club. She should have yeah, joined film, film club. club. This movie would have been perfect. There would have been zero uh, faults with this movie imagine, if she joined imagine. film club. Throw yourself into alternate universe Coda, where instead go. of learning to sing. She, she learned to make movies. She learns to make oh, really good sounding movies, dude. Th- that, this, this is why this movie is pandering to me, man, because it's all it really is all about sound and when it comes down to it. And she smokes a bowl every day, which is what they do in film in film club in that at that school apparently. And you know? uh, at that school, at all schools, who knows what it's really like, but um, <laughs> you know. That's, uh, you know. Yeah. Enough yeah. enough kidding around. I love this movie. I think it was it was me it was a, it was a great romp. Um Abram, you said it was super cozy when you watched it. I watched it in bed, um, and that was awesome. Snuggle all in. Snuggled up with my blankie. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very enjoyable. All right. I think we need to see if we're going to have a good time on the next episode because mm. what film is going to be either the source of our happiness or the uh, the cause of our despair should we uh, should we choose to like it or dislike it? Yeah. We're I, going from we're going from feel good movie to feel good movie, Timo, cuz we're doing as I, I I name dropped it earlier, we're doing Kenneth Branagh's Belfast next week. Uh-huh. Uh, another favorite to win to win the award this year, to win best picture this year. So we'll have to see what our thoughts on. I, I've seen it before, Tucker's seen it before. We saw it in theaters a couple months ago. Um but yeah. I only know Branagh from his starring role in the recent Hercule Poirot <laughs> movie, which he also... Hercule Poirot, I will detect the mystery and solve the murder. Um, mm-hmm. That movie was interesting. Glad it didn't get nominated. Um, and, and so I'm very, very curious. How did mm. he direct the Best Picture nominee, and how did he direct Death on the Nile? Like in the, They both came out relatively the same time. There's a puzzle in here. There's a mystery, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be does, the one to solve it. Yeah. How does Kenneth Branagh do it? We'll have to find out next week. He also directed Artemis Fowl. Or not next week. Next time. These are coming out. These are coming out twice a week. We're going hard and fast. It's award season. We love the Oscars. We what do you have to say? Love the Oscars. I was going to say, I don't know. It's something about directing Thor or make a Shakespeare joke. I don't know what the fuck Belfast is. Yeah, but I'm okay. going to see Death on the Nile next Saturday. That is a Woo! true fact about my life. <laughs> Soon, soon we will abandon all hope of talking about, you know, Best Picture winners or maybe maybe occasionally nominees, and we're just going to go down blockbuster detective route. That's our future. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> Do you want to end the show? <laughs> that future has not yet come to pass. Next week, talking about Belfast, directed by Kenneth Branagh. It's a movie about Irish people possibly wanting to leave Ireland, also funded by the Irish government. So that will be fun to uh, investigate I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for an awesome discussion about this film. It's at the top of our list. It's number one right now. We will see if it stays up there next week when we're talking about Belfast. We'll catch you then. Peace.